Amen. Oh, what a blessing worship was again this morning. That was awesome. Thank you all very much for the worship this morning. It is certainly our desire that these songs that we sing on Sundays and Tuesdays would become such a part of your your life that you would sing them throughout the week while you're at home as part of your worship to the Lord as well. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. One of the joys that I have in pastoring this church, and one of the things that's so refreshing for me is that I realize that I'm predominantly with a group of people who get it. Talk a little bit more about what that means, but you understand that salvation, meaning the time that we accepted Christ as our Savior and we gave our lives to Christ, was not the end of something, it was just the beginning of something. That's what you get. And you get the fact that salvation is not described in the Bible as simply redemption. Meaning that God set us free from our sin and from the penalty of our sin and from the power of our sin. But you also get the fact that our entire Christian life is not only about redemption, it's about restoration. It's about God restoring us to be what He always created us to be. You get that. And the reason that's so important, and I want to encourage you all in that, is because this is a message we're going to be talking about today in depth. And it's a message that all of us here who get it need to take out of these four walls and share with other believers because it is my belief and my conviction today that we are living in an age, even amongst Christians, even in churches, where the majority, the predominant number of Christians don't get this. They don't understand the restoration process that's going on continually in their lives from God. And therefore, much of life seems to just be a puzzle to them. And they're not looking at their life as a Christian as a restoration. Here's what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches that every true Christian is a divine work of art. You are a masterpiece that God is creating. You are a composition. You are a song. Your life is a poem that God is writing and creating to put on display, not only for others to see what He can do in a life that is surrendered to Him, but one day He's going to present us to His Son, whom He loves very much, as a gift. That's why the Bible says we are the bride of Christ and Jesus is the bridegroom. And one day, God the Father is going to present His bridegroom, the Son, with this beautiful bride. You see. The reason we know that we are a divine work of art is because this is what the Bible teaches. 
Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, we are his workmanship. The Greek word is poema. It's where we get our English word poem from. But the word in the Greek language can mean any work of art. It can mean a sculpture, a painting, a composition, a song, any work of art. And so the Bible teaches that when we accept Christ as our Savior... Yes, God sets us free from the penalty and the power of sin. He liberates us. He redeems us. But what also happens at that point is as a Christian then, I have to understand that when I become a Christian, in a sense then, I give God permission to start the restoration process. To start working on me. To start making me be what his design for me is, not for what my design is. That's why Paul said, you realize as Christians that God's process of restoration is so he can conform us to the image of his dear son, Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29. That's the purpose of this restoration process. And, and, and it's like God wants to literally set free and liberate What is inside of us that he put there all along? That's what part of this restoration is all about. Reminds me of the story when someone went up to Michelangelo as he was standing there by this massive stone. And they said, you know, when you approach a piece of stone that you eventually create into this great sculpture, what's going through your mind? And Michelangelo says, All that's going through my mind is I'm getting ready to liberate what's inside that stone. I'm getting ready to bring out of what's in that stone so that people can see what's really inside there. That's exactly what God does to a Christian. When we accept Christ as our Savior, we again have to understand, and this is what I think so many Christians just don't get that I'm so glad most of you get is that when we become a Christian, we're not only saying yes to Christ and saying, God, save me from my sin and all of that, and and we're entering into a relationship personally with God, but we are also saying to God, now God, I give you permission. I hand over my life to you, and I will now begin to let you, this great divine artist, begin to make me into your divine work of art. And we realize that God is going to start that work. And he will continue to work on us throughout our entire life. And God hopefully looks for our cooperation. But God is not, has to have our cooperation. God hopes that we will be cooperative in this restoration process. But he's going to work on us regardless of whether we cooperate or not. For Paul said, he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Because once a person becomes a Christian, we realize the Bible teaches then we are not our own because we've been bought with a price. And we have to understand that we give God our lives and say, okay, you divine artist, you, the creator of the universe, you make me into what you want me to be. And God begins a great work in each of our lives. 
a work that lasts throughout our entire life. Now, the reason why I'm taking so long to to set this up this morning is because this is the whole backdrop of where Peter is talking, why Peter is talking about the things he talks about here in this passage we're going to look at this morning. Because again, for one last time before he finally leaves this and we go on to something else next week, Peter also wants to bring back to the minds of Christians this whole idea of suffering and trials and tribulation. And Peter is reminding us, he's saying, look, realize that part of what God is going to do in our lives as Christians, this work, sometimes is going to involve uh, uh, allowing suffering, allowing trial and tribulation. Again, never for our detriment, never to discourage us, but sometimes he has to allow these things because it's part of the restoration. It's how he can create and bring out in us what he, the divine artist, wants to. And he can only do it through those means. That's why the Bible gives us even the picture in the Old Testament in the book of Jeremiah as one who's related to God as the clay is to the potter. And Jeremiah was told by God, I want to give you this illustration to set into your mind. I want you to go down to the potter's house and I want you to observe this potter working with clay. So Jeremiah went down, he looks into the potter's house and he sees this great artist, this potter, molding this clay and and he would put the clay on the wheel. Folks, not much has changed in thousands of years. The wheel may now be motor driven rather than foot driven, but the principle is still the same. There's only three ingredients. There's the potter, there's the clay, and there's the wheel. And Jeremiah was observing how when the clay would come in contact with the wheel and, and would and would be molded in the in the shape of the potter, that, that this lump of clay that maybe just looked like a lump would eventually become this beautiful piece of pottery if the clay would just allow the potter to mold it and make it into what his design for it was. And I want you to get the idea that when God is allowing sometimes things to rub up against us and and run into us, and even if it is suffering and trial and tribulations, that those circumstances of life are that wheel. And God is running us up against that wheel so that he can take a little off here or mold a little bit here. And that that we have to allow as the clay to understand that the potter knows what he's doing. And we, we need to not try to be, think we're smarter than the potter and say, God, I trust you with my life. And I realize that you're restoring me. You're making me like Christ. This is a lifelong process. And sometimes, just like in any restoration, it could be painful through certain seasons, but the end result's going to be beautiful. Now think about that on a much smaller scale. We do this all the time as human beings. We need some work. We, We don't like the way certain things look. We entrust ourselves to other people to restore what either never was there in the first place or what was there but now isn't like it used to be. I'll use the dentist because I've been the, you know. 
I got a lot of good things from my parents genetically, but my teeth weren't one of them. And there have been times over the years where I've had to go and entrust myself to a dentist, endure some pain. But man, what that tooth looked like before and what it looked like after the restoration process, like, wow, what a difference. People do that with cosmetic surgery. They do that with trainers. They don't like the way their body looks or their body shape, so they entrust them. And go through a lot of pain, but the before and the after is pretty dramatic. So it's not like we don't understand this concept or this process. We just have to take what we all do as human beings throughout our life as far as seeing things and and wanting them restored and knowing that sometimes we've got to go through that pain to get to that place where it looks better than it did and understand that's exactly what God does to us spiritually. When we accept Christ as our Savior, that's just the beginning. It is the beginning of a restoration process that will last a lifetime. That, yes, will sometimes be painful because part of that restoration means that God will allow suffering and trial and tribulation because all along he's trying to liberate and set free and bring out what he designed to be there and what's all there. And again, he hopes that we will be cooperative. He hopes that we will be a lump of clay that will just lay there and let him do what he wants to do. But we understand that a lot of times, even as Christians who say we trust God and believe in him, we fight against the work that God wants to do in our lives. And we're not as cooperative as we should be. Again, I say this. There will be times where God looks for cooperation and there will be times where God is going to work in us whether we like it or cooperate with him or not. And here's why. Because he loves us enough to do it. He loves us enough to know that our true happiness, fulfillment, and satisfaction is tied up in this restoration process. And that he does know better than us. And that if that if he just left us to ourselves, we'd never go through any pain. Even though it might be for our benefit. And that's why can I just say to you that when Jesus even taught his people to pray, he didn't say as he was teaching them to pray, pray this way, our grandfather who art in heaven. Because we know grandparents, they, you know, Oh, I'll let you do whatever you want to do. But that better not be a parent's attitude. Parents are all about needing to train and correct and discipline. The Bible clearly says in the book of Proverbs, a child left to themselves will bring their mom and dad to their knees and will bring heartache to their life. A parent needs to love enough to do what's needed. And that's what God is. He's our Father. And that's what He will do. So that's why. That's why Peter says in verse 12 to these Christians, then dear friends, it means beloved, dearly loved. Don't forget how much God loves you. Always will, always has. He says, dear friends, do not be astonished. Stop being shocked 
and surprised about a trial by fire that is occurring among you as though some strange thing were happening to you. Don't be shocked or surprised when things come into our lives that God allows. He says no Christian should be shocked or surprised by that because these trials are part of the restoration process that God is doing in our lives. That's how you can tell whether Christians get it. The whole thing about knowing what real salvation is and how the, what the Bible teaches about salvation or whether they don't. Because again, when trials come into our life, if we don't really understand that salvation is about restoration as well as redemption, then the first thing a Christian will do when something comes into their life that's a trial, that's, that's suffering, is, why God? Why? Why did you allow this? Instead of looking at it like Peter, like, why are you surprised and shocked when it does come? Don't you realize that the master is at work? Don't you realize that the divine artist is at work in your life and he loves you and cares enough about you that he's creating you to be one of his personal masterpieces? Don't be shocked or surprised by that. In fact, he uses the word strange. It means don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of this process that God is taking you through in restoring And think about it even in terms, some of you are into art, maybe like I am. You understand that some of these great works of art down through history, some of them have gotten awful marred and scarred through the years. And people who love to do restoration, oh my goodness, it takes a lot of pain and a lot of effort to bring out what was originally put there. I think about that again, having the privilege of growing up near our nation's capital as a child. And one of the things I remember even as a child going down to the Smithsonian almost, you know, a couple times a year was this one room in the Smithsonian had the original flag that flew over Fort McHenry in Baltimore, Maryland, whenever Francis Scott Key wrote the, you know, national anthem. And they were restoring it. I mean, literally like thread upon thread. I'm like, wow, the, the detail and, and the tenacity and the, the patience that that takes to restore something like that. Think about that in relationship to God. That's the kind of patience and love and tenacity and all that that God has with each of us. Because again, at least a flag or a piece of art or something doesn't struggle against who's trying to restore it. The problem is with us many times, we struggle against our creator and maker. And we don't want to go where he wants us to go. And we don't really want to become like Christ. And that's why I've said before, that's why the Bible teaches very clearly, God's love is not a pampering love, it's a perfecting love. Because that shows... What real love is. We have such a low, trivial view of love today. We somehow have bought into the word that love means I, I'll let somebody do whatever they want to do and whatever. And that's not love. It never was. It, it never will be. 
And that's exactly what God is doing in our lives. So he says, Christians, don't think it's strange. Don't think it's something to be afraid of that something is happening to you. By the way, this word happening means happening by accident or chance. In other words, he's also saying, don't think that anything that touches your life is some accident or by chance. It has to pass through the sovereign divine artist first. It is part of his restoration process. It's not like anything that happens to any of us happens that catches God off guard. Like he's up there in heaven, all of a sudden something happens to Jeff. He's like, oh my goodness, I I didn't see that coming. Oh, Jeff, I'm sorry. If if I'd have been on the ball and if I'd I'd have been more attentive, I'd have prevented that from happening to you. No, he's God. He, he knows everything that's happening and everything that will happen. And nothing touches us by accident or by chance. It's all part of this divine restoration. Now again, let's contrast. We're going to get to that in a minute. Those who don't want anything to do with God, then obviously they're not giving him permission to do anything with them. Hands off. But see, you and I have to understand in salvation... Unless you and I have a deficient understanding and view of salvation, salvation, when we accept Christ as our Savior, we are saying to God, God, I give you permission to start working on me. And the cool thing is, the thing I hope will encourage you is, God is going to work on us once we become a Christian. Whether we like it or not always, whether we cooperate in it or not always, but here's the other cool thing. God will never get tired of working on us. God, as the potter, will never throw the clay away. No matter how frustrated maybe you and I would get with working with us, God is never going to get to the point where he goes, I'm done with you, Jeff. Because again, Paul said, he who began a good work in you, Philippians 1.6, will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So don't think anything happens by accident or chance. That's not biblical. There are no accidents or chance with Almighty Sovereign God. It is all part of His process of making us into His poem his masterpiece, his sculpture, his work of art, his painting, to not only put on display so that others can see what a life surrendered to God can begin to look like, but he is also working on us because he loves his son Jesus enough that when he presents us as the bride to the bridegroom, we can be something worthy of Jesus Christ. That's why he goes on to say in verse 13, rejoice, literally keep on rejoicing exceedingly that you and I have been able to share in the sufferings of Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that we're adding anything to what Jesus did while he was here on earth. It is finished as far as redemption and salvation goes, as far as the plan of God goes. What he's talking about here is we have the privilege of sort of entering into communion and fellowship with Jesus when we suffer because he suffered and the one who is greater if he suffered then the Bible clearly teaches then we will suffer as well there's a 
communion. That's why Paul said, my goal in life is to know him. To experience the power of his resurrection and what? The fellowship of his sufferings. Philippians chapter 2. So then Peter goes on to say, so that when his glory is revealed, so that when he is seen for who he really is by all the world, Peter says, so that you also will rejoice and be glad. In other words, When we see him, John says, we will become like him for we will see him as he is. And even at that moment, when we begin to see Christ created in us, if you will, in a way that only the divine artist can do it, we'll be glad that God took us through this restoration instead of just leaving us to ourselves. Know that we have spent our lifetime as Christians in the hands of the greatest artist in the universe. The one who created all that we see in the universe. And by the way, the only two times in the Bible that this concept of God as creator is used is for the old creation and you and I the new creation. The only time it's used. That's why Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Because now... God is at work. The divine master artist. And our lives are now in his hands. And he's asking us, will you cooperate in this restoration process and let me bring out and liberate and set free what is really inside there? I'm at work. Notice he goes on to say in verse 14, if you're insulted... For the name of Christ, you're blessed. We say, you're highly favored, as we said a couple weeks ago. Because the Spirit of glory, who is the Spirit of God, rests on you. I love that. Do you realize, when you and I suffer for being a Christian and for doing what's right and good, that the Bible basically promises us that if God's allowing that, that's part of that restoration. God's going to use it in our lives to refine us, to purify us, to strengthen us, to make us more like him. But in that moment, don't think you're doing it alone. No, the spirit of God that literally lives inside of you is also resting on you in a special way. And the word rest literally means in the Greek to refresh. It it, it means to permit one to collect our strength so we can continue on in the restoration process. That's beautiful. Because we all know, and some of you right now, you may be in a season of life where you've been going through intense restoration. And you've been against that wheel. Some circumstance in life that seems to be grinding you down. And just like maybe, I know for me, those memories of sitting in that dental chair. And going, is this ever going to end? It's at those times, Peter says, that the Spirit of God supernaturally will minister to us and allow us to catch our breath so that we can continue on for just a little bit longer because God has just a little bit more work to do before He'll take us off the wheel for a time. Like I said, sorry, but the dentist for me, that's that thing that I can, you know. Because there have been times in the dentist, I'm like, I hope they're done just like really soon because I'm about at the end of myself. 
And it's funny because they must sense that because like every once I was like, sir, just a couple more minutes and we'll be done. (laughs) Sometimes that's the way it is in our lives as Christians. We're sort of sitting in God's dental chair, if you will, and the restoration's going on and, and it's like, Okay, God, I'm, I'm getting really tired of this. And Peter's saying, I get it. We all get it. But there's times we just have to hang in there a little bit longer. But the cool thing is we don't have to hang in there in that part of the restoration process where it can be really painful and we're going through trials and suffering and think that we're not going to be ministered to. No, the Spirit of God is supernaturally going to come and rest on us in those moments we need Him the most. And He's going to refresh us from the inside out. And He's going to allow us to collect strength so that we can get just a little bit further down that restoration. Then he goes on and says, but let none of you needlessly suffer. Don't ever suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as a criminal, or as a troublemaker. Now, the other three, the first three are pretty, you know, self-explanatory, but I did want to bring this out. The word troublemaker here, really interesting word in the Greek language. It means one who supervises the affairs of others without permission. Does that describe you or somebody else? In other words, God is saying, you're a troublemaker if you're supervising the affairs of other people's lives without their permission. Inserting yourself maybe where you weren't invited. God says, that's a troublemaker. Be careful. And that's why can I say, God is not a troublemaker. Because if we understand salvation, we gave God permission to take over and to start this work when we became a Christian. See, that's the problem, though. Many Christians out there and many churches never teach this. And that's why we have a lot of disillusioned, disappointed Christians out there who are floating around trying to figure life out. Because no one ever told them about this restoration process. No one ever told them that when they accepted Christ as their Savior, that part of that should have been they understood that they were giving God permission to start working on them. They never heard that. No one ever told them that. So when these things begin to happen in their lives, they're like, whoa, God, what are you doing? You don't love me anymore? Have you turned your back on me? And God's like, do you not know my word? It's just the opposite. I'm this divine artist. You are my masterpiece. Don't look at it that I don't like you. It's just the opposite. I'm creating in you to be what I always designed you to be. I'm going to liberate and set free what's really there. And yes, sometimes it means you've got to go through pain to get there. But then he says in verse 16, But if you suffer as a follower of Christ, a Christian, don't be ashamed. Don't ever be embarrassed, disillusioned, or disappointed. But glorify God that you bear such a name. And by the way, that means that we have the privilege of representing Christ before others. That's what it means to bear his name. And that's part of the other reason why God is going to work on us. Because he wants it to be an accurate representation, not an inaccurate representation. I mean, how would we feel? We know how we feel when we're misrepresented to other people by other people. We don't like it. When people misrepresent and and portray us as someone we're not. Can you imagine how often that happens to God? 
who people go, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of God, and they go out there in the world and they act and talk and live a certain way. And that's not God. That's not who God is. That's not who God revealed himself to be. Can I just say, God gets blamed for a lot of stuff that's not his fault. And part of it is because of the way people portray him by the way they live and act and talk as supposedly Christians out there in the world. No, we bear his name. We represent Christ before others. And that's another reason why God's going to work on us. Because he wants that representation to be accurate, not inaccurate. And then he says, for it is time for judgment to begin starting with the house of God. The family of believers. Wait a minute. I thought the Bible taught me that when I became a Christian, God wasn't going to judge me anymore. Again, misunderstanding of the word judgment here. The word judgment just simply means evaluation, determination, and separation. All God does is he evaluates accurately where we're at in the restoration process. He determines this is the best course of act of action in the restoration process, and he will begin that. That's just what the word judgment means. Don't make it mean any more than it does. And God says, if that's going to begin, it's going to begin with the people who bear my name. Because you've given me permission to do this work. And you represent me before the world. Therefore, I'm definitely going to start working on you. Because I love you that much. And I love my son that much. And I want my witness to be an accurate witness, not an inaccurate witness. So I will judge my people. I will evaluate their lives. I will see where they are. I will see what needs to be corrected, what needs to be disciplined, what needs to be tweaked, what needs to be shaved off here and molded here. I will evaluate. I will determine a course of action and I will do this course of action. Because I'm your father, not our grandfather. Y'all can tell I'm getting into that grandfather thing, can't you? All right. For it is time for judgment to begin starting with the house of God. And then he says, if it starts with us, what's going to be the fate, the outcome of those who are disobedient to the gospel of God? Think about it, especially in this next phrase. He says, if the righteous are barely saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinners? Now, folks, again, proper understanding of the word of God. He's not teaching here that certain Christians just get into heaven by the skin of their teeth. That's not what it means. We're either saved or we're not saved. There is no such thing as, well, they're almost saved or they're almost not saved. No, 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 no. That's not what this means. Here's what he's saying. Again, in the context of what he's talking about here. Again, that's why it's so important that we study the word of God in context or we can get so messed up in our doctrine and our theology and our translations. Here's what he's saying. He's saying in spite of a lifetime of work that God does in our lives as Christians, in spite of all that he takes us through, good and bad, when it comes right down to it, at the end of our lives, we're just beginning to scratch the surface in our lives, even as Christians, 
of seeing Christ consistently portrayed. That's what it means to be barely saved here. In other words, he's saying, even after a lifetime of this restoration, even after all the work, the painstaking detail and loving, all of that that God does, you and I are just beginning to reflect Jesus Christ. And if we're honest, and if we've even been saved for a while, we'd go, yeah, you're right. Because a lot of times, even as a Christian, if I'm honest, I'm selfish. It's about me rather than about God or others. And my attitude isn't always like Jesus. My character certainly isn't like Jesus all the time. The words that come out of my mouth aren't always the words that Jesus would have used. So even after this lifetime of restoration, Peter's saying, you and I realize just how far we still got to go. But, but God is working. And more and more, hopefully, of our Christian life, more people can see Jesus in us than they did before. But he says, what about those that are ungodly? And sinners. In other words, he's saying, can anybody see anything of Jesus in them? If, if people have a hard time sometimes seeing Jesus in us who claim we're Christians, and we don't always act, talk, live like Jesus would, then he says, can Jesus be seen at all in them? And by the way, very interesting. I thought so. That when you study the word ungodly and sinner here, you know what those words mean? One who has little or no time for God. Ooh, that's sort of convicting. Because God is characterizing people that are ungodly and sinners as those who have little or no time for God. And I think to myself, even again, as a Christian, sometimes if I was honest, my life would look like I have very little or no time for God. And the reason why that's in the context that it is, is because I think God is trying to inspire and motivate us to give the master artist more time. Yes, he will work in our lives, even if we don't cooperate because he loves us that much. But God is saying, if you spend more time with me, the artist, and you give me more of your life, and you surrender more, and you just let that clay, you, you, you trust the hands of the artist... That restoration process, though painful at times, is going to be able to bring out a little bit more than it would if you were always fighting me. And you never gave me any time to work. You see. And then he says this. So then, here's the conclusion. Let those of us who suffer according to the will of God. In other words... Again, suffering is never going to be needless, never going to be purposeless when it comes to this as Christians. Anytime you and I suffer, it's not accident. It's not chance. It is part of the divine restoration pro process, project. We're his workmanship. 
He says, let none of us who suffer according to the will of God, or let those of us who do suffer according to the will of God, entrust their souls to a faithful creator. The word entrust was a banking term. It literally meant to deposit for safekeeping. In other words, God is saying through Peter, do you not trust me enough? To put your life into my hands and let me bring out this beautiful work of art that you are. God says, you're beautiful. I created you. I know what's inside of you. I know the potential. I know what's there. Let me liberate it. Let me set it free. Let me bring it out of you. And trust your life. To God, because He's faithful. He's reliable. He's trustworthy. He's dependable. We either believe that or we, or we don't. And where the rub comes for many of us as Christians is we say we've trusted Him enough to give Him our life in salvation and to say, Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe the only way of salvation, of to entering into a relationship with you, is by accepting your Son, Jesus, God, by letting him take the penalty for my sin for me and, and to forgive me of my sin and to bring me into right relationship with you. And yet somehow as Christians, we don't trust him enough to give him, the master artist, our life and let him create what he wants to. Because somehow, even though we've trusted him enough to save us, somehow now when it comes to our life, we seem to know better than God. And it's like, okay, God, I'll let you save me so I can be on my way to heaven, but now I know what's best for my life, so I'll take it from here. And even though you're God, and you're the divine artist, and you created the universe, and you want to do a new creation on me, no thanks. I'll take my chances with what I want to create. (laughs) Can I tell you? That's even more foolish than if I were to live back in the days of Da Vinci or Michelangelo and walked up to them and says, Now, guys, you don't really know what you're doing with that piece of stone. Let me take over. That's what we do to God. So here's my encouragement for you today. First of all, if you're going through a season where you're on the wheel and the potter's placed you against that wheel... Remember, the Spirit of God is resting on you. Allow Him to refresh you and to allow you to collect your strength just to stay on that wheel just a little bit longer. Because God's at work. He's always at work in your life if you're a Christian. Second, if you're here today and this teaching on what salvation really is all about. This restoration process is something that you've never heard before, totally new. Then I'm going to ask you, would you today be willing to say, well, then I need to, I need to give the divine artist my life. (laughs) And I need to entrust my life to him and let him do with me what he wants because he knows better. Here's my life, God. Take it. And finally, if you're here today and you knew this, but like 
we all can at times, you have been struggling against the divine artist instead of cooperating. And this message has reminded you that God is at work and that he's only wanting to create in you a piece of beauty that he can present to his son Jesus and put on display for the world to see. And that somehow maybe that has gotten your thinking back to a place where it's like, okay, God, I'm not going to struggle against you. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to release it. I'm going to trust you. Let God work. You are a divine work of art. Let the master artist work in your life. Let's pray. God, I pray today that more and more Christians would get it, would understand what the teaching of the Word is all about when it comes to our salvation. That we wouldn't limit the understanding of salvation to just that moment we accept Christ as our Savior. But that we understand that that just unlocks a lifetime process a restoration process where you begin to conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Where you begin to liberate and set free what is inside of us that you placed there when you created us in our mother's womb. So God, today, wherever we are at in the process, Lord, I pray today that you will use your word to set us free. Help us, Lord, to see things today maybe that we've not seen. To understand things that we have not understood. To feel things we've not felt. And to believe things up until this point we have not believed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and as we sing this song, let's sing it as a song of commitment and dedication to the divine artist today.